Thank you for joining us for this podcast of Northwest Presbyterian Church in Dublin, Ohio. Our church exists to celebrate the gospel through Christ-centered study, worship, and prayer, to connect in community through fellowship, accountability, shepherding, and outreach, and to love our city through sacrificial giving of time, treasure, and talents so that it might flourish as a place where Jesus is known. For service times and more information about our church, visit npcdublin.org. I'm excited to look at Psalm 93 with you this morning. It's a really good one to look at. It starts, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. I'm going to need a little audience participation this morning. I'm going to ask this a couple times. Right now, we're going to start just to make sure we're comfortable. I want you to say that with me, that phrase, that very simple phrase. Say it with me now. The Lord reigns. Yeah, that's good. No ruler, no leader, no executive, no government, no institution, no people group, no nation, no popular opinion, no coercive ideology, no secret society, no environmental change, no force of nature. We could go on. Maybe it's more important to really point out the the idea that no individual reigns, which means you do not reign. You are not the king of your castle. You are not the master of your fate or the captain of your soul. It's not true. The Lord reigns. Psalm 93 is short, and it bursts onto the scene with this statement, the Lord reigns. It's written intentionally to be like that. It's, it's a, just a statement of fact without deliberation. The Lord reigns. It's an anthem to guide your life, a compass. When I don't know what to do, how to, where to go, where to look, the Lord reigns. It's an anthem. It's a proclamation to announce to the world. When I don't know what to say, I don't know the answers, there's so many problems and different things, the Lord reigns. Psalm 93 takes us there and takes us to a place to find refuge. So it's basically three main sections of this psalm. And the first is just introducing the, the concept that the Lord reigns, the Lord reigns, and you can find your refuge in him. So to help understand what's going on really here, that there's the imagery that's being used, you know, uh, in Old Testament times when a psalm like this would be written and then sung or said to each other, you know, the popular idea, religious worldview, is that there are multiple gods. And different gods have reign over different spheres of existence. The greater the god, maybe the, the better realm that you reign over or the larger realm that you reign over. And so there's different ones in different realms. Uh, And that's really, that might sound strange to us, but it's the same thing today. Uh, There are rulers and leaders or influential people that are always jockeying for position and power, and it's always changing. I mean, every year we have the new Forbes 100 list of the most powerful people in the world, right? Or the Times 100 most influential people in the world and many other lists like that. Or if you're a sports person, there's always this incessant jabbering about who's the GOAT or which team is a dynasty, right? That we're always discussing because there are people who have some sort of control or authority over some realm, their own little realm, and we're trying to measure which one's bigger, which one has more, how are you growing it, or how are you losing it? 
Similar for other religious worldviews in this time, when the Bible, when this part of the Old Testament would be written, there's these different gods that have this control. So a statement like this, the Lord reigns, is jolting. The Lord doesn't just reign over something. He's not just one of the lords. He doesn't have his little control. He is the Lord that reigns. And it's just as jolting for us today. We really live in this world where we think that competing powers are the things that influence our life the most. And when those things change, and we don't know really who's in charge here or there, it's disorienting and unstabilizing. But it's true for us, just like it was true for them, the Lord reigns. In section one, this basically gives us three descriptions of what this reign looks like. First, we see that the Lord is robed in majesty and strength is his belt. This is giving us a picture of a king, right? And this king's not just adorned with precious linens or precious jewels. He's robed in glory itself, in majesty itself. J.I. Packer has a, a good description for us in his classic book, Knowing God. He says, the word majesty, when applied to God, is always a declaration of his greatness and an invitation to worship. But this knowledge, which Christians today largely lack, point he wrote this 50 years ago. You can decide for yourself if it's still true or that's just changed. He says Christians largely lack this uh, understanding. And that's one reason why our faith is so feeble and our worship is so flabby. We are modern men. And modern men, though they cherish great thoughts of man, have as a rule small thoughts of God. Today, vast stress is laid on the thought that God is personal but this truth is so stressed as to leave that the impression that God is a person of the same sort as we are, weak, inadequate, ineffective, a little pathetic. But this is not the God of the Bible. Our personal life is a finite thing. It is limited in every direction, in space, in time, in knowledge, in power. But God is not so limited. He is eternal, infinite, almighty. He is personal, but unlike us. He is great. And all its constant stress on the reality of God's personal concern for his people and on the gentleness, tenderness, sympathy, patience, and yearning compassion that he so shows towards them, the Bible never lets us lose sight of his majesty and his unlimited dominion over all his creatures. So what's being stated here when it's talking about God being robed in majesty. Packer helps us understand what's really being explained there. The second description, though, that we see in the first part is that God, the Lord, established the world. He established the world. So again, we're talking back to the worldview of there's different gods, different rulers that have their own little realm. Um, you increase the stability of your domain by seizing the, the right location. Oh, in real estate, what's the, the key phrase? Location, 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 right? So if you want to be a god of power, you need to rule over, have a dominion that's stable, that's secure, that has actually some substance to it. And so you would think that the, the Bible right here would say that, oh, our, the Lord has strengthened his dominion by picking the best real estate. But this part of the Bible actually flips it upside down and says, no, the land is secure because the one who established it. He didn't take hold and reign over the land to find stability, he created stability in it. When we look to the land and know that it is stable and secure and firm, it's because the one who actually established it that way. It's flipped upside down. And the third description we see here is that his throne is from of old and he is from everlasting. Rulers come and go. Even the ones that last a long time, they come and go. Each generation has this new set of rulers and leaders and influential people and powers that be. The Lord had never, never had a time that he seized control. 
He, his reign was from beginning and from before beginning, and there will be no end to it. So how do we know that his reign is secure? His reign is secure because he's never changed. He's always been in control. So we're getting this whole picture here because he's everlasting. His throne has always been everlasting. His throne is on the land, which is everlasting. It's firm because he established it, and he is the God without competition, without rival. The Lord reigns. Okay, so we've settled that, but what does it mean for us? What does this really mean for you and me? Second section of the, of the psalm kind of moves into this a little bit more. It means this, the Lord reigns, do not fear. Do not fear the chaos and confusion. Do not fear the uncertainty and change. Do not fear the instability and danger. Again, it's helpful to understand uh, throughout the Old Testament, when in, uh, other times in the Bible too, but more often in the Old Testament and often in the Psalms, when it's speaking of land and the rock it, and then the contrast is with the seas, it, it often doesn't have anything to do with a real land or a real sea. The land is something that's firm and secure and stable, and so you can build on it. You can, you can be safe on it. The seas represent chaos, uncertainty, uh, tumultuous times, things changing, danger. And you understand that if you leave the land and venture into the sea, not just waist deep, but into the sea, you've lost power. You're, you're at the mercy of the waves. That is the, the, the epitome of being powerless in an in, in unstable land. So all the times when the Bible's talking about this, and, and what we're moving to here in section two, it's talking about the, the seas and the waves. It says, the floods lifted up, the floods lifted up their voice, the floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of the water, mightier than the waves of the seas, the Lord on highest mighty. What they're looking at here is everything that's out of control in the world and the things that present danger to you. So in contrast, the Lord, there's the sea, and then there's the Lord and his reign that is secure and stable. Uh, the sea, what, what's important to note here is there's, there's the, 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 the realm that the Lord controls, and there's the sea and the chaos and the danger, and the sea is not content to just stay in its own lane, right? No, the, stay, the sea is buffeting the land. It's, it, it says the sea is lifting up their voices. The floods lift up their voice and roar out threats. The, the, the voice is so loud that it thunders. And the Bible at this point doesn't diminish the threat of the sea. It doesn't say there is no threat there. It's a threat, and it's really raging. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't ignore it. It emphatically affirms the reality of these thunders. But as emphatically as it affirms the raging of the thunders, it says the Lord is mightier. So we're not pretending like those waves aren't there. They're there, and they're mighty. The Lord is mightier. Commentators often mention that the way the, the, the psalm is written is supposed to give the impression of the waves buffeting, ramming against the seas, against the shore. You know, you've all been on a shore sometime and seen the, the waters come, and they just splash and break against the shore, you know. Or maybe more often, you've seen on TV when there's a storm that gets our attention, and you see the, the real raging of the storms bashing against the land. And it can be terrifying when you see the power unleash of the seas when they actually strike against the land. And when you see that, though, what's important to remember, as powerful as these waves are in their unrelenting bashing of the shores, they may destroy your buildings and your houses and even take lives, but they don't destroy the land. The land remains. And eventually, the sea goes back to its place. The psalm is giving us this picture that, yes, there are storms that bring fierce danger and uncontrollable power against you, maybe. But the Lord reigns, and even after the storms, he's still reigning. He's not going to lose control. There is no 
losing or overpowering of the Lord by the storms. Richard Belcher, in a book called The Messiah and the Psalms, points out with this psalm, the psalm is saying, Yahweh is greater and more powerful than these false gods, the ones that would represent any of the chaos and confusion. He has defeated them. The torrential powers of the waters is a picture of the chaotic forces unleashed in this world. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. The forces of chaos have asserted their power to claim rule of the universe, but God is mightier than the sea. Thus, the Israelites understood that in a world of instability, there is someone who provides permanence. In a world of chaos, there is someone who is in control, the Lord and no one else. He has no rival. I think this even points us forward. It's easy for us to think of uh, in the Gospel of Mark. There's this little series of a couple chapters in Mark where it's introducing Jesus as Lord. And it shows that Jesus is Lord over sickness. Jesus is Lord over nature. Jesus is Lord over the spiritual world. And Jesus is Lord over sin. Oh, and death. There's even more. But when it's looking at the, the fact that Jesus is Lord over nature, it's this story that we often remember in Mark uh, 4.37. Great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he, Jesus, was in the stern asleep on the cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked this wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You're seeing the same idea. When it's trying to help introduce Jesus as Lord, when people would see this happen or read this, they're thinking of things like Psalm 93. Well, you know, here it is. The, the, the storms are raging and roaring, and we are freaking out. But he's not. He's reigning. He's in control. We wake him up. He ends the storm. Seeing that, that Jesus is Lord, the Lord is the Lord over storms, Lord over nature, all that's chaos and all that scares us. So here's what's good for us, though. I have three questions for you. The, the chaos creates conf confusion, uncertainty, and fear. I want you guys to explore with me what are the voices that cause you concern? You notice as this psalm in this three and four, it mentions voice, right? The voice of the floods, the roaring of the floods, the thunder of the waves. We don't just fear the waves, we fear the sound. There are things that we hear that make us even more scared. So I want you to consider with me, what are those things? Three questions. First, just in general, what are the voices that threaten you? What do you hear or see that makes you scared or worried, agitated, frustrated from the news, from work, from your family, from yourself, there are certain things out there that have this effect on you, and they roar, and they thunder. I, I would ask you to consider like this, uh, in the sitcom that's kind of off TV now, The Office, there's a place, there's a time where, where one of the characters in the show, Stanley, has a heart attack because of stress and other things. He comes back to work, and the work is having, he has a little heart monitor to to let him know when he's getting agitated, a little beeping sound to, to give him a warning. Hey, things are not where, what they should be. And his workplace is trying to do a meditation thing to try to be calm. But every time the boss gets close to the guy with the heart monitor, beep, 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 and he gets away and he goes, uh, he goes beep, 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 is that thing broken? No, it's not broken. I've identified my source, you know. Uh, it's you. Uh, it, it doesn't work that easily for us. I can't give you a monitor to let you know what it is. But you, if you will give some time discerning it, you can start to pinpoint what are the noises 
Because there is chaos and confusion and, and danger, but what are the particular ones that cause you to get agitated? To get, do you give yourself time to think about that? So that's the first question. What are the voices that threaten you? The second question, what are the Christian voices that threaten you? Yes, what are the Christian voices that threaten you? There are voices out there that threaten us, but there are also voices in here that speak of woe and concern and danger. And sometimes it seems like the loudest voices are inside here. Sometimes specifically here, I mean more specifically the church. And that's even more frightening. Like, it's easy for me sometimes to think, okay, if the world out there is freaking out, I can remind myself they don't know the Lord. They don't know that the Lord reigns. Of course they're going to freak out. But if I come to Christians and Christians are losing their minds, I think, I have to be scared. You know the Lord reigns, and you're still so worked up. I need to be worked up too. This happens often. Uh, I've become more aware of this in the last few years. I think, one, because it happens a lot. And so I'm also just checking myself. But I, I see this, and I, I get it. Uh, there are things in society or the world or your life that feels chaotic or tumultuous and unstable and shifting. And if that's happening, it affects you. It affects you even more if you feel like there are things that you could really rest on that were stable. And if some of these changes or threats are unstabilizing that, then it makes all of your life feel uncertain and unstable, right? It makes you scared. And it's natural if that's happening, you're disoriented and you want to tell people, we should be scared. We should watch out. It's very natural for those things to happen. But what I find is that Christians will look one situation and say, the Lord reigns. And then they'll look at another situation and say, the sky is falling. Run for your lives. Sometimes in the same conversation, you know, and I'm disoriented. Wait, what just happened? You know, is the Lord reigning? Is it, maybe I should be scared. Because of this, I've given special attention to say, I, I want to be careful how I share. There are things that scare me. There are things that worry me. There are things that are troubling that I don't know how to fix. But am I sharing it in a way where I'm telling you, you should be scared? Or am I telling you in a way that this is true? I don't know what to do. The Lord reigns. When, what situations are you those voices? What situations are you the voice of the waves to other Christians saying, it's coming, we're in trouble? You are in some situation. Again, I'm not, just like the psalm isn't, I'm not asking you to ignore the floods and the raging and the roaring. I'm not saying that they're not true. I'm not saying there's nothing to fear. I'm saying look at the thundering waves and say the Lord reigns. So maybe in situations where I, I hear these things, do you know what's happening in the schools now? Do you know what they're teaching? Do you know what kind of pressures young people are dealing with today? Do you know what they're exposed to today? Yeah, the Lord reigns. Do you know what's going on in the work world now in corporate society and the pressures or these expectations or even the, you know, the, the overworking that is expected of people to, to keep up with what's demanded? Or I don't even know with economy issues, am I going to make enough to make what I made two years ago? Have you seen all these things? Yeah, I see those things. The Lord reigns. Uh, do you know that less and less people are going to church? Do you know that more than ever, uh, people classify as no religion in America today. Do you know that people are leaving ministry? Do you know that churches are closing? Yeah. The Lord reigns. 
The Lord reigns. What are the Christian voices that threaten you? And then the final question that I have for you, what are the voices inside your head that threaten you? Sometimes the loudest voices are the ones in here, right? And just like a Christian can say, the Lord reigns. Oh, no, I'm freaking out. Same thing with you. You interpret different situations and think, I'm not worried about that. But then there are other situations that you see or hear, and they just keep playing over and over and over. And those thundering waves, no one can silence that because no one even, no one else hears it. But you're telling yourself over and over, worry, dread, concern, confusion, what's going to happen? You know, I was having a conversation with Glenn McElhaney a few years ago, and he was really helpful. We were just talking about something that I was kind of struggling with and trying to sort out. And at one point he asked me, um, um, is anyone, who's causing this problem? Like, who, who's telling you that something's not right? Who's telling you you're not doing a good enough job on something? And I said, no, no one. I don't know anyone that's telling me it's a problem. He's like, okay. But you think it's a problem, so um, is anyone telling you that it's, it's not a problem, that it's, things are good, you're doing a good job? And I said, yeah, there are some people who are telling me that. It's like, but you're still convinced it's a problem. So no one's telling you it's a problem. Some people are telling you you're okay. You're still convinced it's a problem. Who do you need to hear from? Who do you need to tell you that you're doing a good job and this is fine? And then it clicked. No one. Uh, at that point, in that situation, I was convinced my voice is the only voice that matters. People tell me, good, and I think, you're just being nice. You don't really know. I know. And at that point, I'm trapped. The only voice I listen to is the voice in my head, and who's going to ever convince me something's different? This plays itself out all the time in our life. People may not, you may not even have a person telling you to con be concerned and worried and afraid. You just keep telling yourself. And that voice is thundering and thundering and thundering. You need to tell yourself, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. There's a lot of hope here. But it gets even better. Gets even better. The last section of the psalm, the Lord reigns, trust in his word. Last verse, your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befit your house, O Lord, forevermore. Okay, because the Lord reigns and his throne is from everlasting, then what he reigns over is firm and stable and secure. And you can trust in that. And similarly, because the Lord reigns and his throne is from everlasting, then what he says is stable. The, the, the power, the stability of the words find their strength and stability from the one who speaks them, right? And so we've already established that the Lord reigns, that even when the storms come and they are real and they buffet the, the shores and they rage and thunder, he's not moved which means also his word is not moved. We can trust in it. And that's better news. It's great to know that he's there, but it sure is helpful to know that he has said some specific things, right? Life feels confusing. What do I do? There's all kinds of things that he's already spoken. And his word is just as trustworthy as he is because he's the one that spoke it. Again, it makes us think of at the end of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine, and puts them into practice, will be like a man who's built his house on rock, on land, right? Not the sea. The, the, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall. Same idea. There's a solid ground, and there are storms. The storms are going to come on all the ground. There is no escaping the storms. They're going to come. You have options. 
there's a word. You can build your life on the word, which was spoken by the Lord that reigns, that doesn't get changed by the storms. You can listen to this and obey this and find stability. Or you can ignore this and you can fall. There's great comfort there. A great comfort. Uh, at the end of Joshua, at the book of Joshua, Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not one of the Lord's good promises failed. Everyone was fulfilled. And you and I can count on this. At the end of the age, when everything's gone, it will be able to be said again, not one of the Lord's good promises failed. Everyone was fulfilled. He endures. He's everlasting. His word is trustworthy. So there's two things for us to remember this. His promises are trustworthy. There's so many things in here that we can find comfort that he says is going to be true for you to put your hope in, for you to find security and stability and guidance in. His promises are trustworthy. If people in society or your family or work said, you can't really believe that. It doesn't matter what the thundering and roaring of their voices say. It's stable. It will come to be true. It's trustworthy. His promises are trustworthy. But also, just as much as the promises are trustworthy, his warnings are also trustworthy. You can say they're the same. A promise is a warning. A warning is a promise. We're going to look at it two different directions. We typically think of God's promises as the, the positive things we hold on to. But there are plenty of things in Scripture that are warnings, corrections, guidance in life. Uh, we often treat those, though, like, uh, like speed limits. Speed limits are very clear. They're one number, one number, very prominent. This is the limit. However, everyone interprets that, yes, but, right? It's 35, it's 55, it's whatever. But if you go, everyone knows, you can go three to five over. That's just accepted behavior. Or for some of you, it's five to seven, or for some of you, it's seven to ten. I don't know, right? But it's accepted. There's a number, but, right? And I, I have no interest in how you drive, unless you're, you know, going to cause an accident when I'm driving. But it's your own deal. Uh, I'm just making that an acknowledgement of what's true and also remind us that we, because we live like that, we often treat the Bible in a similar way. It's very clear in some things. And we say, yeah, but it doesn't really mean yeah, if, I, if I basically obey, if I basically live by this, that's really what it's going to give me a suggested area. Everyone knows five to seven degrees of disobedience is the same as obedience. No. Not at all. His warnings are trustworthy. They will come to pass. I'm not really suggesting this so much as to beat you up and make you feel guilty. Oh, I shouldn't have done this. I am reminding you that when he says this is the way to live, this is what brings life. To deviate from it in any way is to bring harm on yourself and others. Not to bring on judgment, though there is that, is to deviate from what is life. His promises are trustworthy. His warnings are trustworthy. We close with this. The loudest thundering waves of the sea come from sin. Sin says, I own you. Sin says, you will never escape me. Sin says, with all your best efforts, I will still taint everything you do. Sin says, look at the world around you. I've already corrupted it all. Sin says, look at the effects of what I've done and what you've done with me. You're unworthy. You're unclean. You deserve punishment. You are separated from God. You are justly deserving his wrath. This is what sin thunders. But we look to his trustworthy word. Again, look at Colossians, speaking of Jesus, the Lord, 
says this, bringing some similar language and closing him. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood on the cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is the word that we can look to and find trust in and find the ultimate refuge in. Because Jesus' death on the cross, pouring out, his blood being poured out to pay for all sin, we can be reconciled, we can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. There's plenty of voices that say, that can't be true. Can you really be blameless and holy? The word is trustworthy. Find our hope there. Find our refuge in this hope. Find our refuge in him. We close. The Lord reigns. It's a statement of fact. It is an anthem to guide your life. It is a proclamation to announce to the world. There are many storms that rage, and their voices are loud. Out there, in here, and in here. The word is trustworthy. It leads us to a safe refuge, to trust in the Lord. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon podcast. Subscribe to our podcast And for more information about our church, our values, mission, and ministries, visit npcdublin.org.